Welcome everyone to a new episode of On The Rise. Today we're joined by Shubh Malde, the founder and CEO of Arda, a venture-backed enterprise startup that enables transportation companies to easily use drones to make deliveries. Arda is launching in West Africa, starting with a pilot program to service 10 health centers with a catchment size of 250,000 people for last mile deliveries. Hi Shubh, thank you so much for joining us today. Very good to be with you, Michelle. So starting off, what was the inspiration behind your startup? Yeah, so... We very much, I say we, my co-founder, Jan and I fell into the startup world very spontaneously, very organically. Um, I don't think either of us intended uh, to, to sort of see ourselves here and, and what was now a couple of years ago. Um, but basically it started as, as many startups these days said during COVID um, and both first time seeing uh, the challenges of last mile logistics. Um, we were both living in Europe at the time. And so that was particularly vivid for us, uh, stock management between pharmacies, areas of surplus and deficit, the challenges of, of moving things on the last mile. It's going to be the quickest and shortest leg of the supply chain, but is often the most money draining uh, and the most intensive. And so we saw that really vividly. I think COVID brought that to life, or at least the management of COVID brought that to life. Um, Jan, my co-founder, has been sort of building drones and flying drones for eight years. Uh, I've sort of ha had experience setting up previous social enterprises in Africa, uh, run a lot of projects in and around the continent with NGOs and government as well. So those were sort of our backgrounds. And and Jan sort of had the idea, you know, why don't we try, try drone delivery? Something that had been done before and big companies like Zipline, Supera had already been operating in Africa. Um, but, you know, nevertheless, we were sort of on the brink of graduating from high school. And we thought, right, this is going to be it's something pretty fun to do. Um, and so the summer after graduating high school, we we both went out to to the Gambia in West Africa, which I'm which the story goes further than that. I'm sure we'll come on to that. Um, and we basically ran a two-week project with the Gambian Red Cross Society there. Uh, why Gambia? It's a place that I, I'd sort of been acquainted with before. Um, it's got really stark healthcare challenges, so we could have a really big impact there. Um, and it was a sort of really friendly operating environment where we had key stakeholders and key partners who are really willing to, to bear the flag for us, so to say. Um, and so we ran that project and sort of one thing led to another and eventually found ourselves sitting across from, from the Minister of Health um, and in a meeting with him. And that's sort of where the modern art of vision was born out of. And we sort of went away back to, to the US for university and right had to think, right, we've launched this, this drone delivery idea in an African really basic way and, you know, Here's, here's this bigger industry out there. How can we really tap into it in the most successful way? It's, it was an industry at the time that was sort of stagnating and needed a new innovation, a new take. At least that's that's what we thought. And so that's where sort of the modern art of vision uh, of, of a software approach to drone, drone delivery was was born. And what made motivated you to leave the University of Chicago and pursue Arda full-time? Yeah, so um, in all honesty, it was, it was a very practical decision. Um, it wasn't some... Um, enlightenment that said right university isn't for me and you know embark on a world of startup founding uh, it was a very practical decision so after Jan and I sort of had to think about you know what's going to be the right approach to this what's the right product what's the right train of thought to, to solve this problem around around drone delivery um we got our ideas on paper and started in small ways to build out a prototype with some of our friends from university and basically 
got in front of investors, got in front of VCs and, and started pitching. Uh, initially, we actually looked to get grant funding from, from Africa, but that seems to be a really long process. So that's eventually how we fell into the VC and, and tech startup world. And, and we started pitching to VCs as part of Harvard Innovations Lab. And um, that's where, where things started, started really happening in terms of traction. Um, and so we raised a pre-seed last summer. Um, and from there, it was, it was a practical decision, right? It, Arda was taking up more and more of our time. Uh, we now had investors as well as uh, products and, and potential customers that uh, we were we had responsibilities towards. And we thought, right, we want you into university. Uh, we're not sort of really far down down the tunnel that we can't turn back. So, and US universities are both, are really generous in terms of giving people the flexibility to, to do their own thing. So we thought, right, this time may not come around again. Let, let's really go for it. Uh, we're young and we're excited by this and really passionate passionate about about the project. So let's let's go for it. And were there any like personal or professional challenges you faced during making that transition? Yeah, I mean, I, for sure, for sure. Um, sort of at the time I at the time I left, I was I was nineteen, uh, now twenty. But you know, but for many people, and certainly at that point in my life, university was sort of the grounds for my social life. Um, I had a lot of really close friends. Still have a lot of really close friends at U Chicago, and um, and the university years is sort of really treasured times in in terms of you know their ability. You know, you spend time with your peers and uh you're, you're very free uh in a sense and uh and so transitioning you miss a lot of that right you you transition to the real world and i i, I absolutely love what i do and wouldn't switch it for anything else but you know that that sudden change into spending your own your, your whole day sort of often by yourself and uh often sort of jan and i are just talking to each other a lot and sometimes not many other people um and so those changes were difficult um but but generally speaking, you know, university doesn't have to be, and it isn't an answer for a lot of people. Uh, I think a lot of people think it is. Um, and a lot of people see it as, as an end goal. It's fantastic, it can be fantastic, it can be a really useful tool. But um, there, isn't, there isn't a substitute for getting real world experience. Um, and oftentimes for a certain person, university can be quite restrained. Um, there can be a certain herd mentality that that's really easy, really easy to get carried away with, um, and so you know it's really important. To, sort of more general advice here, but it's really important to play by ear. Um, and and yeah, as I said, real world experience trumps everything. And touching on that last point, what is your advice for young leaders looking to go into college next year, myself included? Yeah, so the. I mean, the, the big thing, I think, one thing that it, that it all comes down to is you have to have the fortitude and, and courage to be independent and an independent thinker, um, whether it's whether it's in class, whether it's in your social life. It's it's very, very as I, as I just said, it's, it's very easy to get carried away by by herd mentalities, by by a type of group think um, that arguably is, is becoming more and more present, but sort of going to university university is meant to be a place where you know you really dedicate yourself towards the things that you're interested in, finding out your interests uh finding out things about your interests um and th that's what university is meant to be for so go in there really pursue whatever it is that that excites you your curiosities um but that's the thing stay curious uh being able to be an independent free thinker is it's one of the biggest strengths you can have, uh, and especially carrying that into the startup and, and founder world and 
you know, the tech space, especially uh, in terms of innovation, uh, in terms of being a trailblazer and industry leader, in terms of disrupting the industries, that's, those are some of the most, most useful skills you can have. Um, and, you know, treated well, if, even if your, your long-term goal is to be a startup founder, the way you approach university can be sort of a really brilliant foundation to that uh, and any type of education for that matter. Yeah. And congrats on how well Arda has been doing. Uh, you have two pilot projects in pilot contracts in the Gambia. They'll be launching operations in the next few weeks, I believe. Can you tell us a little, um, can you tell us a little bit more about the process for prepping and organizing the launch? I imagine it's been quite a daunting task. Yeah. So in fact, straight after leaving Chicago last summer, I, uh, pretty much went straight to, to the Gambia for, I think what would have been three to four months. Um, looking back, it seems, seems an age away now. Um, but there were three or four fantastic, fantastic months, um, on the ground meeting with our, our key partners, our, our key stakeholders, um, and regulatory bodies involved every day, uh, sort of really trying to build an excitement and, and some traction, some headwind behind this, this thing, this idea. Uh, and this was a very new idea to Gambia at the time. Um, it's, uh, yeah, as you said, it's, it can be a daunting task, right? Um, especially being you know, someone young, not necessarily the world, world of experience going into it. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden, those four months were filled with, you know, sitting in government committees, uh, sitting across from, from ministers and, and big government bodies and some really big key stakeholders and, you know, you're, you're trying to sell this thing that not many people have seen before, certainly uh, in the Gambia. The Gambia hasn't had a, a joint delivery project uh, set up before. Um, and so the key thing for us and for me especially was, you know, can we identify the key people who are really going to be flag bearers for us? Uh, can we find those champions for ARDA in the country, in the environment, and really build off those people? And in the Gambia, we're, we're very fortunate to have uh, some incredible partners and and some incredible individuals who I am very close with and we work really closely together as as a company, um, and that's sort of been the the roots of our triumphs uh, in the Gambia and in our, in our beginnings especially. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to go into it further as well. But of course, from a regulatory point of view, again, that's that's a big challenge, and, and so you have to navigate that. There's all of the different things that that come into it, but. Ultimately, the people aspect is, is a really important thing for success. And have you faced any like any other challenges like geographical challenges or infrastructure challenges uh, with organizing your pilot program? And how have you gone about tackling those? Yeah, I mean, so, so you have the, the obvious challenges of trying to coordinate uh, a project in West Africa when I, I after those four months, I was then back between the US and the UK. Um, uh, again, juggling other parts of running the business and, and raising a seed around it and all of that stuff. Um, and so that can be challenging, especially sort of, yeah, in Africa, that's particularly challenging. You really have to be on the ground for things to move, to move quickly. Um, you know, otherwise the geography and the infrastructure with things that those were the problems, that, problems that we were trying to solve. Um, and so, you know, it was really important for me. Um, and I, from prior experience in the Gambia and, elsewhere in Africa as well. It's, it's really important to have a really good knowledge of, of the market and place where you're oper operating and, you know, how do you navigate the environment? That was incredibly important. Um, from a regulatory point of view, 
and, and this isn't just for Gambia, this is the whole of African, expand it to the, the whole of the world, uh, regulators can often be uh, very, very restrained when considering, uh, considering new innovation. Uh, and so you really have to make a case in point for, right, you know, here's, here's a wealth of benefits. There's all these different ideas, not only ARDA, but, you know, whatever it might be, um, waiting to, to enter the market. How can we work together to, to really maximize the benefit for, for the broader population um, while, of course, maintaining a, a trust and, and a responsibility as well? And touching on that last point, um, have there been any challenges in addressing the regulatory requirements and safety concerns surrounding drone deliveries, particularly in the context of operating in West Africa and other emerging markets? Yeah, and um, so on, on a broader scale, um, the regulations on paper are very, very similar and almost identical between West Africa, wider Africa, and the US, and even Europe. Very, very similar operating environment to the point that we often make to investors is as we transition uh, not, not not transition, but add the US to our operating scope as well as Africa. From an operating point of view and from a business point of view, we won't actually have to change anything. We'll just be making the same the same points and maybe slightly nuanced points to a different regulatory body. Um, but again, I mean, it comes down to that thing about right: can we really incentivize regulators to to be liberal with regulation? Um, and I think. Again, a broader point here, but that's uh, that, that's something that I'm very passionate about. Sort of, right, how can we free up, um, especially in Africa, in the African context, how can we free up the economies and and really let people build wealth for the, for themselves? And you know, there's, there's a lot of entrepreneurial spirit in that part of the world, uh, and how can we unleash that for, for maximum benefit um, and remove a lot of the red tape? A lot of the red tape is, is a big challenge in Africa and. A lot of people will, will, will attest to that. Um, and so, you know, a general case to be made to, to governments and regulators about that. How can we work together to, to really unleash the potential here? And what have been some of the biggest challenges in developing and scaling your platform? And how have you, how have you been able to overcome them? Yeah. So, I mean, developing, uh, developing a product in, in the space that we are in, software with some sort of attachment to hardware in though we, we try to be hardware agnostic as much as possible we have to deal with it in, in the day-to-day -day. Uh, it's incredibly challenging and given yan's experience and my market knowledge even that sort of you know be going through the operating procedure for the first time uh as as sort of first second time founders um and so you have to you, you learn a lot of things along the way uh you make you make mistakes and you know, Lord knows that we've, we've sort of drained thousands of dollars of, of mistakes and that's bound to happen. That's bound to happen. Um, any founder will know that. Um, the key thing is, how do you respond to that? How do you really get organized about your workflow process? Um, and that's the thing. Nothing can beat organization, planning, structure, uh, processes within a company. How can you minimize the risk of what you're doing? Uh, you know, there's, there's a purview of what you can control. How can you really control that and get to grips with that? And that will let you, that, that will give you the best platform to then, you know, go out and innovate on, on the edges of your products and give you sort of a core stable structure, which you can always come back to.
And as we talked about earlier, these past few quarters have been a tough fundraising climate. In spite of this, you successfully raised your pre-seed last summer and are currently in the process of raising your seed round. How has been your fundraising experience so far? And have you faced any challenges in securing funding? Yeah, so no doubt that this time round for, for our seed round has certainly been tougher than our, our pre-seed uh, because of the environment. And, and people will tell you that across all spaces. Um, but I think the fundamentals stay the same. The fundamentals really stay the same. Uh, there's been some sort of transition where uh, some of the pie in the sky ideas aren't getting funding anymore. And, you know, one would argue that they maybe never should have. Um, but, you know, if you have some sort of tangible product in the real world, then it all comes back to the same things, right? For an early stage startup, what are you selling to an investor? And those have been the really key points for us. The team is, is the first thing. And second thing is, is the way you think, the way you approach problem solving. Um, and so those, those have been the two really big things for us. Um, we operate on, on a B2B, um, in, a, in a B2B way. Uh, and so, and it's been a sort of slow go-to-market process for us, given the space that we're in compared to a, a lot of different startups uh, who, are, who are raising right now. Um, and so it's really key to, to convey to investors, right? We've got this really exciting traction here. And this is our thinking about our growth strategy, right? This is how we're going to go from A to B to C, uh, and eventually to to you know th th this this big this big vision that, that we see at the end. Um, and so, yeah, it, for me, it really breaks down to two simple things: team and the way you think and the way you approach problem solving. And speaking of the bigger picture, drone technology as well as the incorporation of computer vision and machine learning have grown tremendously over the past several years. Uh, how do you see drone deliveries transforming the logistics landscape? Yeah, so look, Jan uh, and I both very strongly believe uh, that drone delivery will be inevitable. Uh, sort of 10 years from now, uh, it, it seems inevitable that the way we'll transport goods and the way we'll make deliveries uh, for the last mile and large part will be will be drone delivery. Um, so it's really a point of right which solution is is going to unlock that uh, in in a way that really accesses the commercial mass market. And that's the thing. There's a, a book by I think a writer called uh, Carlos Perez. Um, she talks about sort of the stages of uh, stages of, of technology working its way into a market by going from eruption and sort of initial outbursts into the market to deployment, which is when sort of the mass populace sees it in their everyday. Um, and there's a turning point in between that. And I think that's really where drone delivery is at the moment. You sort of had your early movers and, you know, you had your Amazon who tried to give it a go and, you know, sort of flat on their face and Zipline and Supera who have really been sort of key early movers and really pushing innovation, Wincopter. Um, but now you sort of at a transitional point where it's like, right, okay, this techn technology is pretty much proven. Um, what's going to be the model? What's going to be the operating procedure that really takes it from a novelty and an exclusive novelty of that to the commercial mass market? How is this going to be usable uh, by you know your regular delivery operator? Who just wants the benefits of drone delivery, but doesn't want the big, uh, the big investments and, and the big complexities that often come into it at the moment. Um, and so that's what we're really trying to plug into. Um, but certainly, I think I think drone delivery will be inevitable within the next five to ten years. It's about what model really unlocks that future, though. 
Yeah. And where do you see Arda going in five to 10 years? Your co-founder mentioned in an interview that you have a commercial commercial partnership for expansion in 2023. Can you share any details on that? Yeah. So that commercial partnership is also in, in Africa with a sort of multinational uh, medical lab network. Uh, it also has units in, in East Africa and in the UK. Uh, and so we're going to look to build upon that and have a really good relationship with, with that partner in, in West Africa at the moment as well. Uh, I think the broader vision for, for Arda is firstly get a really strong stakeholder in, in Africa. Time and time, time again, that's proven to be uh, the really big market for drone delivery companies up front. Um, not only is that the best way you can then access uh, US commercial drone delivery commissions and FAA regulations uh, by already having experience of what's called Part 135 operations. Um, but the opportunity for drone delivery in Africa is, is, is massive. Uh, the incentives are the biggest, uh, the, customers, the customers are the most willing to go to market really quickly and um, and push push this technology. Um, but then, you know, the broad vision is, so at the moment we're focusing on healthcare, broad vision we to expand to, to all use cases, we're, we're use case agnostic, drone delivery, just like a car, you can put anything in a car, boot or a car trunk, you can put anything in a drone payload. So, you know, eventually we want to move across to, to food delivery and e-commerce and parcel delivery as well as healthcare and, and pharmacy delivery. Um, and so, you know, the, the limits are, are really broad, are really, really broad. Um, and, you know, we we'll, we'll really hope to sort of provide a foundation and, and an infrastructure that, that really powers the drone delivery industry uh, and, and makes it accessible, as I said, to, to the mass market. That's, that's really the, the goal of ARDA. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where this goes. And congrats on everything you've accomplished. Um, to close out this interview, one final question. What advice would you give to young founders looking to start their own companies? Yeah, that's a, it's a very good question. So I think for me, it breaks down into, into three things. One of them is an absolute non-negotiable. So I'll start with that. That's There's no excuse and there's nothing that beats hard work and dedication. Um, if you're if you work hard and, and you're dedicated and sort of not working hard on on useless things, um, you're bound to be successful. So that, that, that's the first really big thing. The other two things are things that I've, I've touched upon before, and that's putting people first, uh, especially as a, a young early stage founder, not only in in sort of your attitude to customers and, and finding people who are really going to be the flag bearers for your technology or innovation, whatever it is, um, but in being able to listen, uh, people are going to fall head over heels to give you advice and support you on your journey. If you position yourself as someone who's really willing to listen, uh, really willing to be open and, and to be a free thinker um, and, and take that seriously. So that, that's the first thing, be a really good listener and, and put people first. Uh, the second thing is, yeah, again, touched on it before, but be an independent thinker, uh, maintain your voice get clear about you know what you think and talk to people figure out what you think and um you know really always pursue pursue your curiosity that, that's a really really important thing and um that will maintain your ability to, to disrupt and to innovate where where others may not be able to so that's a, a really vital skill that's really great advice and thank you so much Shub, for taking the time to talk to us today Lovely. It's, it's great talking for sure. Thanks everyone for joining us. Stay tuned for my next episode and see you all soon. Bye.